Good morning, and welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Would you stand and let's join together in the call to worship. God makes the sun to rise and set. He causes the summer and the winter to come and go. God helps plants grow and flowers to bloom. He gives us food to eat, places to live, and people to love us. God is always with us, always guiding us, keeping his promises to us. Let us praise our faithful God. Alleluia. Amen. Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, be with us as we come together to worship this morning. We come before you, Lord, bearing burdens and worldly stressors. Give us peace and make us ever aware of your presence. No matter our circumstances, we praise you and thank you, Lord, with ever joyful hearts for all the ways you work in our lives, for our hope is in you. Amen.
Amen. We have every reason in the world to give thanks to our God. And we've come here today to do that. Before you're seated, share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship this morning. Just a couple of things to mention to you tonight at 5 o'clock. We're meeting back here in the sanctuary for a concluding celebration gathering as our prayer vigil comes to an end. And uh, we give thanks to God for all the prayers that have been prayed and the things that have happened in these last three weeks. And we will come together to sing and to, uh, to pray, to share with one another about what God might be doing in our lives. So we hope you'll join us tonight at 5 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Uh, also, just a couple of um, announcements. Uh, we give thanks to God for the birth of Evelyn Grace Fink to Jesse and Melissa earlier this week. And we, uh, we thank God for her life. And also we want to offer our prayers uh, for uh, Diane Emmons and her family as her mother Polly Lytle died uh, earlier this week as well after a bit of an illness. And so we want to remember this family in our prayers as well as others as we pray together a little bit later in the service.
Please join me in the prayer of confession printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. O God, giver of all that makes life good, we gather to give you our thanks, even as we confess that we have often failed to live our thankfulness. We have a tendency to take for granted what we have. We have a tendency to grumble about what we lack. We have squandered your bounty with little thought of those who will come after us. We are more troubled by the few who have more than by the many who have less. Forgive us, O God. In this hour of worship, accept our thanksgiving. Teach us to make gratitude and sharing our way of life. And open our ears that we may hear your words of assurance and pardon. That though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 8. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and gave me, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done and the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, I'd like to invite you to stand and sing the doxology as we welcome the ushers to come forward for our tithings. We thank you for your steadfast love and mercy. We experience your blessings every day, and your blessings are always given to us freely and with ultimate love. We want to learn to give hands open, seeing the needs of a broken world, and wanting to build up your kingdom so that we might do our part in being part of the body of Christ, loving and giving sacrificially of ourselves to one another to those who don't know or understand your love, 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So spend the next few moments in prayer together. If you would like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please join me. Gracious Father, we have come today to give you thanks. You are good and merciful. You are gracious beyond measure, loving, kind. You have blessed us immensely. We recognize that our words of gratitude fall far short of what you deserve, but the expression of our heart is thank you. As we come today and recognize the gifts that we have experienced, we also know that there is much in this world of pain and heartache and struggle. We think today of those connected to us who are grieving. We pray for Paul Young and his family at the death of his mother recently and for Diane Emmons and her family at the death of her mother this week, and for others who are are feeling a sense of loss and grief. We pray your healing grace in each heart.
as we move into this holiday season, it seems as though the, the missing and the longing and the empty places are exacerbated. We pray for your grace upon all who are grieving, whether the, the grief may have started recently or a long time ago. We pray for all connected to us and among us who are wrestling with illness and pain. We pray especially for Vesta Mullen and Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman and Bill Roski, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth, and for Alton Shea and Isla Shea, for Dick Gould and Edna Howard, for Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others who may be on our hearts and minds today. Father, we also pray for those around us who are in need. We thank you for all the food that's been brought today and in earlier days and throughout the year. We know that it represents your bounty to us, but it also reminds us of the great needs around us. Help us as we distribute the food to, to do so in a spirit of love and compassion And we pray that it will indeed help those who are in need. And give us grace to love even beyond just handing food. May may people see something of you in us as we express our prayers and our compassion. We pray, Father, for the people in Buffalo who are dealing with the snowstorm and now the flooding. And we pray for people who are grieving from the deaths, for people who are trying to recover from damage and injuries, and for the ongoing fear of the, the damage that the flooding may, may take place. We ask, Lord, for your hand to hold back the waters. We pray for your mercy and grace upon, upon the people who have been most affected. Father, we think about the larger world in which we live and we pray for those who are still wrestling with the Ebola virus and the devastation of that and we pray that you would bring healing and an end to this tragedy. We pray for our brothers and sisters who face continual opposition and persecution, some violence. We ask that you would give them courage and strength. Help them to know of our support, our love, our prayers. And may in their witness, may we be encouraged about our journey and our walk with you. Father, thank you for all the ways in which you're at work in us and in this world. Thank you that in Christ you have revealed your glory to the nations. We pray, Father, for us, for your church for your creatures that you love. May we see you clearly. And we ask all of this through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And the one from whom we learn the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading is from Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Heat what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, and bless those who do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with, with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals over his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. These are some of the questions in one way or another that you asked related to this larger issue of God's will. It didn't surprise me really that these are some of the questions that you asked when we talked about what sermon you might want to hear preached about something. Because people have been talking and thinking about God's will for centuries, maybe from the beginning. You go all the way back to Exodus 18 and Moses is... is uh, the judge over Israel and people are coming to him, spending seemingly most of his day and he is deciding for them. And it's interesting that the writer of scripture says he was discerning God's will for their lives and about these particular circumstances. And people have, we we all have this sense in the back of our minds, what is God's will? And we wrestle with this and we struggle with this. And I think that it's important as we talk about the subject to realize that there are, there are sort of there are two ways of approaching this. There are two kinds, descriptions of God's will, and it's important to differentiate them. On the one hand, you have God's general or intentional will. And, and this is not that complicated. It's just challenging to do. Because really what we're talking about in God's general and, and intentional will is, is these right, wrong, good, bad, moral, immoral kinds of decisions. And, and quite frankly, they aren't all that confusing. And Scripture tells us over and over again about how to, how to make those decisions. Places like, I mean, well, you have the Ten Commandments, of course, that give us, gives us some lists. And places like Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, what does God require of you to... Act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's not that complicated. But yet at the same time, we find ways to complicate it. And so as we move on through Scripture, God and his people flesh it out for us a little bit more. And when you get to places like Romans chapter 12, and the second half of that passage is really fleshing out for us what it means to follow God. And there's this list of things, and it really you boil it down to, as Jesus said, love God and love others. Have a heart of, of passion for God. Want to be like Christ, be holy. Or as Jesus says to his disciples, simply follow me. I mean, that, that, in many ways, that's what it comes down to. It is, it's wanting what God wants. It's, it's wanting God to, to shape us in the image of Christ. And the, the right, wrong, good, bad... Moral, immoral decisions fall into those categories about the will of God. And it's not that complicated. The struggle is doing what we know is right. But most of the questions that flashed up on the screen and that came to me were really about more of the everyday kinds of decisions about life. They're not the right, wrong, good, bad decisions, but they're more the life decisions. There's nothing moral necessarily inherent about this particular decision, where I live, whom I marry, if I go to school or not, and if I do, what school do I attend, where do I live, the career for me, those kinds of questions are not in and of themselves moral or immoral, but we believe that God has some direction for us. And the question is, how do we know that? Well, there are some ways to know that. 
to make those decisions. God's given us some resources to use. For one thing, I, I think that we, we think about it. Use our minds. We don't like to think because thinking's hard. Right? Thinking is a difficult thing for us to do. And, and it forces us to, you know, we want people to say to just tell us what to do. I, you know, I've had people through the years come to me and ask for advice about these kinds of decisions. And I told them what to do once. And it didn't turn out so well. And so they blame me for that for the rest of their lives. So I don't do that anymore. We don't like to think. We just want people to, we just want a formula. We want people to say, tell me what to do. Even in, in, when we're in classes and, you know, we, we want the professor to, we don't want to synthesize what's being taught. We just want them to tell us what to know. We'll come to the test and we'll just tell them what they told us. But we don't want to have to think about it because that's hard. And we tend to shy away from hard thinking. And, but that's one of the ways in which we figure out things. We make lists, pros, cons, that kind of thing. I think, really, basically, God is saying to us, do what you want to do. Do what's enjoyable to you. How you've been gifted, your interests. You know, we have this picture in the back of our minds, I think, that the will of God means that if we do it, whatever we do is going to be the the hardest, most difficult, most painful thing in the world for us to do. Whatever we love doing, the will of God certainly is going to be the opposite of that. And, and I think nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, in, this, in Romans 12, Paul gives this list here and, and, he, and he says, in fact, he says to, to the Romans, let me talk to you about God's will. And he describes it in three words. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. It's not this thing we ought to be afraid of. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's what separates God as other than from every other being, including us. It's because all that God wants for us is the very best. His will for us is the very best. And, and his will is good. It brings joy to us, pleasure to us. It, it brings everything good that we could want in life. That's his will. And all the laws and all the things that God says do, don't do... Are our way of getting us back to living in that kind of pleasing, good, perfect will. Where life is full. I mean, God says to Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. They're not to, not to harm you, but to prosper you. To bring good to you. Jesus says to the disciples, all the stuff I've told you, all the time we've spent together, here's the end result that I want for you. Joy. I want you to know the full measure of the Father's joy in your life. That's God's will. That's God's purpose for you. And so our interests are a way of getting us to that point. I mean, you know, he says to them, if if your gift is encouragement, then spend your life encouraging people. If your gift is leadership, be a leader. If your gift is giving, then give generously. Whatever your gifts are, whatever your interests are, do it. Have fun with it. Love it. You know, we, we, we make it so hard when the reality is God just wants us to enjoy his presence and to live in the fullness of his joy. And more often than not, that's going to that's gonna be connected to the things we love to do and the gifts we have. 
So if your gift is writing, write. If your gift is business, be in business. Whatever it may be, if your gift is teaching, teach. Whatever that may be, whatever your gift and your, and your interest and your, what brings joy to you may be, more than likely, unless it can lead you in some way down an immoral path, it's good. And so we follow our interests. We make it too complicated. I think also the church is another resource God gives us to discern his will. The community, friendships, people that, that have similar goals in mind that we do of doing the will of God. And it's not that people tell us what to do, but sometimes it helps just to bounce some ideas and thoughts off of people. Sometimes just talking about it can bring clarity for us. Sometimes somebody who's outside of our intense situation can ask just the right questions to cause us to think about the issue in a way we hadn't thought about before. I suspect we've had people in our lives who have done that for us. People we trust, people who we believe are wise. They don't tell us what to do, but they do ask us some questions that then gives us some stuff to think about. And I think that Scripture is another, another resource God's given us. In, a word, in God's Word, we find examples of people who have, who have lived their life for God and, and we're challenged about taking chances and risks as they do and stepping out in faith. And prayer, of course, is a big part of it. And we would say, well, yeah, of course, we pray about it. You'd be amazed how many times we don't pray about it. Because really the kind of prayer that we're looking at in this particular sense is listening prayer as much as anything else. We don't like to listen so much because when we open ourselves up to listen to God, he might well not just speak to us about this particular issue. Maybe there are some other other stuff going on in our lives that he wants to address. And listening makes us vulnerable. So we don't listen. We miss understanding his will, his passions, his desires for us. And ultimately, we do all that we know to do. We think, we pray, we read the scriptures, we talk to people, we think about what we love to do and our gifts. And then we make a decision and we trust God. One of the worst things we can do is to be immobilized in our decisions. What God is looking for is is for us just to take a leap of faith and to trust him and to do it. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. In fact, I think we have in our minds that when we, when we think about the will of God for these decisions, there is this perfect pathway that if we choose it, we'll have no problems. Anybody had that experience? If you have, I would love to hear that. I've not had that experience because that's not real life. You know, real life means there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be, there is no perfect decision. Every decision we make is going to have ups and downs, good and bad, struggles and successes. Every decision is going to have that. But the way we form the question even is in a sense of if I just followed, if God just led me in the right way, I would eliminate all of those problems. It's not true. Jesus always does the will of his father. He he does not live a problem-free life. And we won't either. 
And sometimes the, we, we make these decisions and if something doesn't turn out the way we want, our immediate reaction is we made the wrong decision. Maybe, maybe not. You can't judge those kinds of things too quickly. Often it takes a lifetime of looking back and saying and realizing, I don't know if that was the right decision or not, but God was in it. And God was working through it. And maybe it wasn't even about me. Maybe it was about someone else. When I was graduating from high school, my parents felt called by God to join a mission organization. And it ended up that we moved to Oregon. I didn't want to move to Oregon. We live in Indiana. I was going to school in Pennsylvania. My sister was a, just completed her freshman year of high school. She didn't want to move to Oregon. But we all moved to Oregon. And we weren't happy about it. What's interesting is that for the next five and a half years that my parents lived in Oregon, I would say that, and I think my dad would agree, it was some of the five and a half most difficult years of his life. So many things that, were, that brought value and worth and, and, and the way that in which he, he sensed God using him in the pastoral ministry evaporated when we got to this new ministry in Oregon. It was, it was hard for him. But it was the best thing in the world for me and for my sister. We needed to be in that circumstance. It allowed us to have some experiences and it led us to some things that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And we look back on this as a family now. And my dad would say there were a lot of good lessons he learned through that experience. But it was all worth it. Even if it wasn't for him, it was for us. And God used it and it was good. And even though he was tempted to second guess and third guess and probably thousandth guess that decision through the years, we look back and say, we see God in the midst of that decision. You see, one of the things that we wrestle with is we're afraid to make a mistake about God's will because we have convinced ourselves that God is looking for perfection in us. And if you're looking for perfection, then it's all about not making a mistake. But I'm convinced God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for relationship. And relationships are messy. And relationships are about not perfection, but love. And when the relationships build on love, you don't expect perfection. In fact, you anticipate it not being perfect. But what you get to experience is love and forgiveness and compassion, and grace that can only come from relationship. That's why God created the world the way he did. He didn't create the world. He didn't create us as robots. He created us with free will. And the free will was a huge risk that God took. I'm going to create these people, and, and, and there's a good chance they're going to reject me. But it's worth the risk. And we do. And so what does God do? He steps in and says, all right, well, let me try this again. And he puts his hand on a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, you follow me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect with you. And there's a great risk that Abraham will doubt God. And he does. And the world is a mess. And God puts his hand says, on these people who are slaves in Egypt, this ragtag group of people. And he says, I'm going to identify myself with them. And the scripture tells us, might not have been the wisest decision. They certainly weren't the strongest and greatest people to pick. But that's the people. 
They're the ones. And it's a risk. Because God may well indeed, I mean, they may well indeed reject him and and disappoint him and, and skew who he is to the rest of the world. And they do. But it's worth the risk. And you get to come to Jesus. I'm going to sing Christ and the world may reject him. And they do. We do. But it's worth the risk because it's about relationship, not about perfection. And God says to us, I don't want you to worry about making a mistake. He says, worrying about making a mistake means that we never take risks. And if you don't take risks, you don't have trust. And if you don't have trust, you don't have a relationship. It's as simple as that. See, we, we have this picture of God, and we need a new picture of God when it comes to his will. We have a picture of God that he, that he is saying, I sure hope they get this right. You know, we have this image of, I think they have this image of God. He's in heaven wringing his hands saying, boy, if they, miss, they hit this, make a wrong decision, it's over. You know, he's pacing and fretting and stressing. Man, I hope they get this right. That's not true at all. If God really says, this is the only decision that's going to be good for you, then we have to leave it up to him to open and close doors to lead us down that path. And if he doesn't, that's his fault, not ours. Right? And most of the time, the decisions aren't like that. Most of the time, God is saying, you got freedom. Pick something and run with it and I'll be with you. And it's going to be good and it's going to be bad. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. But we'll do it together. And it'll be awesome if you trust me. And we get so uptight and nervous and anxious. I think all the while God is saying, just just rest in me. Trust me. I've been a Packers fan, Green Bay Packers football fan all my life. And um, this year they were expecting to have a really great season. They were anticipating a lot of good things for this team. And it was pretty disappointing after the first three games, they lost two of them. And um, the uh, Packer fans were starting to panic and getting all upset. And the, the radio talk shows in, in Milwaukee and Green Bay and Wisconsin were freaking out. People were calling in, freaking out. We got to fire the coach. We got to change the lineup. We got to yell at the players. We got to do something. And people were in a panic and a stew that the, the season is going down the tubes because they have lost two out of three games. And after they lost the second game, Aaron Rodgers, who's the quarterback, went on the radio. He has a weekly show on Mondays. He went on his radio show, and he, he's, he's from California, and he's got this very soft, soothing voice. And he, and he gets on the radio program, and he says, I got something to say to all of you out there in Packerland. I got five letters for you. Five letters. R E. L-A-X. Relax. It's okay. We got it. We're good. And they have been. They went from one and two to seven and three. And a part of me wants to say to us, we just need to relax. God's intention for us is not to live in anxiety and stress and worry. What if we do the wrong thing? Surely our God is bigger than that. Even if we make a a decision that we can see nothing good out of it and we see it's just that was just a huge mistake, God can do something with that. 
All he's asking for is us to be open to him, to seek him, to, to desire what he desires, and then to live in freedom. And scriptures tell us over and over again that God didn't create us to be in bondage. He created us to live in freedom. And we need to, we need to put off that fear of making a mistake and the fear of, of messing up and live in the freedom and the joy of relationship. Because here's the secret. We're going to mess up. We're going to make decisions that, you know, we look back and say, I don't think that was right. But God can handle it. He can help us through it. He's at work in it. It makes me, you know, I think about the parable of the talents. And the master comes and he gives five talents to one, two to another, and one to the other guy. And he says to them, you know, I'm going to go away, do something with this. And the two with five, one with five and one with two takes it and they invest it. And more than likely they invested it not in, not in some secure account, but it's more like investing in the stock market. It could have gone either way. And the guy who had won is so fearful that he goes and he buries it in the ground. And when the master comes back, he doesn't say to the guy who buried it in the ground, that was wise thinking because you didn't lose it. Good for you. You didn't make a mistake. And he doesn't say to the other two, what were you thinking? You could have lost all of that investing it like that. Are you crazy? No, the exact opposite. To the guy who buries it in the ground, he says, you wicked, evil servant. You didn't even trust me enough to take it to the bank. And you two guys, way to go. And it's not about the fact that they got more. It wasn't about the success. It was about their trusting him enough to risk it. That even if it didn't work out, that's okay. They trusted enough to risk. And God's calling us in our temptation to be immobilized and our fear to take risks. Step out. Trust God. See what he can do with the decisions we make and the, and the things, that, that, and what we, things that we do and places we go. Because ultimately, it's not about some kind of formula. It's about surrendering our lives. And if we have surrendered our lives, then God will use it. It's all of Jesus' life. In John 4, 5, 6, Jesus keeps telling his disciples, I've come to do the will of my Father. My food is to do the will of my Father. I'm here to do the will of my Father. And that culminates in the prayer in the garden where Jesus says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And when you live in that kind of perspective, part of me wants to say you can't make a bad decision. Because you just we're doing the best we know how what to do with what we have in the moment, and that's all God is asking of us. And so we use the resources we have available to us, we make the decision, and we see what God does. Instead of fretting and worrying and stewing and living anxiety, we live in joy and freedom. And it doesn't mean life's going to be easy and simple with all those decisions. But we believe God is at work. Because we believe that God ultimately will bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. And we're just trying to be agents to bring that about now as much as possible.
And I'm convinced maybe the better question is not, how do you know God's will? But the better question is, now that I have a sense of what God's will is, am I willing to do it? Now that I've sensed God leading me and directing me, now that I've used the resources I have, and, I'm, and I think this is the way to go, do I have enough guts and courage to take the steps to do it? Am I willing to risk because I trust God? Because I believe God is not up in heaven waiting for me to make a mistake so he can zap me. But God is in heaven saying, I can't wait to see what we together can do with this risk you're going to take. I can't wait to see how we're going to work this out together as I watch you trust me once again in this decision as you have in other decisions. Because we worship the God who can take the death of his son on a cross and three days later raise him up from the dead. We worship a God who tells us over and over again that ultimately his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. That he is the Lord God omnipotent who reigns. And we come to this table this morning knowing that the shed blood and the broken body of Christ is not just about what Christ has done, but what Christ is doing and what he has promised to do. And we come and celebrate his grace and goodness and mercy and love and joy, his relationship with us as we live for him. So I don't know exactly how God may lead you, how God may be prompting you about decisions in your life. But my question for you and for me is as we sense God's leading, are we willing to walk, take the risk, trust him down the path that he's leading us? Gracious Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you for loving us enough to want relationship with us. And even though it feels sometimes like that complicates life, we know that it's because you want us to know the depths of your love for us and to work in us and to make us, and remake us in the image of Christ. Father, pour out the abundance of your blessing on this bread and, and on the cup. As we eat and drink, we may know the joy of who you are. And we will have the peace of resting in you and of trusting you. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and then he broke it. 
And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body, body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As the ushers release you by rows, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you prefer, we have a tray of cups and bread and we're happy to serve you in your seat. And I also have gluten-free wafers here in cups. Just let me know if you would like those as you come to the front. We practice open communion at the Western Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God and with the desire in your heart to follow him and to live in, in fellowship with people around you, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, heavenly Father. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon Thee, and Thy beauty fills my soul. For by Thy transforming Satisfies my heart. It 
satisfies my deepest longings, meets supplies my every need, compasseth me round with blessings. Thine is love indeed. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. Ever lift Thy face upon me as I work and wait for Thee. Resting beneath Thy smile, Lord Jesus, earth's dark shadows flee. Please sing with me. Children of the Heavenly Father, safely in His bosom gather, nestling bird nor soar in heaven, such a refuge there was given. God His own joys tend and nourish in His holy Sir. 
that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.